Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight. I'm talking today to Bevan Dufty, a member of the BART board, about how the transit agency has seen a 94% plunge in ridership during the coronavirus pandemic and how it can ever recover. Bevan Dufty, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Heather. Good morning. I can't believe you haven't been on yet. I've been recording for two years. <laughs> this is long overdue. <laughs> Let's just say we've huddled many a time in your office at City Hall, so I don't think it's any, any due to the lack of attention or things no, to not talk at all. about. <laughs> but now we have nothing else to do with our time, so. <laughs> so how is your shelter in place going? Got to ask everybody how you're passing the time. Um, I, I think we're, we're, we feel very fortunate and well. Um, our, I have a, a pit bull rescue and a Chihuahua Italian Greyhound mix rescue. And um, they have gotten so much attention that they're really spoiled. We're kind of doubling up on our walks, uh, both morning and night. And um, they're just used to having Corey and me and Sid around. And so uh, I, I would say that it's going to it's gonna be tough to wean them off of the attention <laughs> that they've been getting. Um, Are they getting and, walked like 12 times a day? That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 65, so I'm staying at home and, um, trying to abide by the guidelines. I, I go out and run a couple of times a week and, um, you know, I went to Safeway yesterday, uh, now that I'm 65, I took advantage of, uh, the, the opportunity to go between six and nine in the morning. And I got mm-hmm. there about six ten. And it, it was a solid hour before we got in the store. So oh I, I go to what I call the Escape from New York Safeway. Um, Which one and, is that? Uh, so it, uh, the church and, and, okay. and market. And uh, um, so it was it was kind of crazy outside. But when you went inside, it was kind of an alternate universe. Like the shelves were stocked. It was really clean inside. It was just kind of not as rocky as sometimes it was. So ultimately, um, it was two hours well spent. That's good. And now you're stocked for a while. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've I've been trying to limit, um, uh, you know, what we do, and uh, uh, definitely have gone to uh, gotten carry out from Don Ramones a couple of times, and grateful to the governor to allow walk off margaritas uh, and, and other cocktails at establishments <laughs> I don't know what to we help do them out. That. So that's uh, that's definitely been an improvement that I, I imagine will probably be here to stay at some point. Yeah. So is the Bart board meeting virtually, or how are you keeping up with your work for Bart? Uh, so we are meeting virtually, and we also have some conference calls. Uh, Di- President Simon and uh, Director Lee and I are very close friends working together, collaborating, and um, we've definitely had some phone calls, some with um, Director Saltzman from the East Bay, and really focusing in on our contact and communication with state government, federal government, uh, things of that sort. And then we will have our second virtual board meeting um, tomorrow. Okay. Well, um, you and Latifa and Janice are three of my favorite podcast guests, so... It's the trifecta. (laughs) Boy, you're really a cheap date today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in a good mood. (laughs) Do you have more work than ever for BART or has it slowed down? Uh, No, it's pretty busy. Uh, You know, a lot of phone calls. I I talk to our general manager, Bob Powers, every day. And there are just a lot of things that that are happening. And it's amazing how much you can accomplish just kind of working the phones and email and things of that sort. Um, Specifically, 
based on my background working with the city uh, for 25 years, a big focus on trying to get help for um, homeless individuals who are in the BART system and trying to make sure that whatever path the city takes as it relates to addressing the need to um, thin out shelter population and to house people on the street to the best ability and to whatever criteria the city sets up. Um, just, you know, I, I helped draft a letter for our general manager to go to Sean Ellsburn and some city department heads, and we're kind of clamoring um, for uh, focus and attention. Uh, and, and as you wrote about uh, in today's Chronicle, um, as fantastic a job as our mayor and, and Grant Colfax and leadership have done as it relates to getting San Francisco out ahead of every other city in the country, um, I think that the, the situation and how we're responding to homeless individuals is is just it doesn't seem to be happening, um, and it's it, it it's not clear. Um, and obviously, supervisors Ronan and Matt Haney and Dean Preston have um, you know shown a lot of initiative, but it 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 would be helpful. Um, I think if, if we could get, um, some better coordination and I think fundamentally, uh, one of the things I did when I was director of hope was I had a good relationship with the coalition on homelessness. And I think it really is a mistake that I think that there are people within city government that still harbor grudges that go back to 2002 and care not cash. And, um, you know, the homeless coalition is the strongest, um, of, uh, around the country of any city. And I think we should be working with them. And you wouldn't see situations where people who are currently crowded in shelters are saying, the alternative you're offering me isn't a good one and I don't want to do it. And if I take it, I'm going to lose my next last 60 days in this shelter reservation. So, I, I, um, so I've kind of moved around a bit. You're used to that when I talk to you. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> well, we'll get to the homeless um, issue in a min- minute, but I wanted to ask you about ridership on BART. First, it has plunged 93%. And um, another column in today's Chronicle, thanks for the plug earlier, was Phil Matiers, who uh, wrote that 24,909 people rode BART on Monday um, compared to the normal daily ridership of 405,000 people. So um, what measures have you taken to cope with that? And what else do you think will be in store if the shelter-in-place rules extend into summer? Well, I think what we've done has been a success. I mean, the purpose of continuing service was to allow people who are public health responders, grocery clerks, in-home care workers, individuals who themselves may have medical or other life-necessary appointments um, farther from their house than they can get to. So I, I, I you know, and actually, I think Michael Cabanatuan's story said we're up to a 94% reduction as of um, today. And um, there's your puppies. <laughs> sorry, now you're getting now you now you're getting. They want to be on the podcast too. Here, um, uh, so I think it's a success in that we're we're still striving to provide service, and we want to see a reduction. But I'm not naive, and I know that while 94% of our ridership has reduced, I think for individuals who are homeless who have sought respite or shelter that I don't think that number has dropped, um, 94%. Yeah. No, definitely uh, I, you know, we have a very difficult budget situation. We're not even moving with the current timelines for our budget. Um, 
because we're looking at between 250 to 450 million roughly and our budget is is you know under a billion dollars that's our operating budget and then we have a capital budget that's separate that's about a billion dollars doing seismic and other work in our train procurements and so forth so um and that's the deficit you're anticipating in the next year yes wow how do you even begin to bridge that uh, I, I think we again. This is why we've been very close to our federal and state partners, and um, we are, you know, getting some assistance and working through the Metropolitan Transportation Commission. I mean, one of the things that's unique about BART is what's called farebox recovery, and farebox recovery basically means what's the percentage of your operations that are funded by fares. And so you've got agencies like VTA and Muni that are blessed with a lot of local subsidies. And so they may rely, I think VTA is under 20%. I think Muni's in the 20s somewhere. But if you look at BART, 65% of our operations are funded by fares and parking revenue um, out at our suburban stations. So when you, when we lose riders, it has a disproportionate impact on our budget. And so, um, members of the BART board, you know, we've been talking to our colleagues on, um, the Metropolitan Transportation Commission and saying, um, some of the federal formulas, the way they allocate money to transit systems across the country don't recognize, uh, the unique position we're in because we're a multi-county entity. And as I think you know, um, neither San Mateo or Santa Clara are formally part of the BART district. And so, you know, we, we have some unique situations, which I hope will be recognized and, and garner us more, um, you know, a, a, a fair share of state money and federal money that, that comes for, to maintain transit. And in the meantime, how do you balance the need to cut service since you have so few riders now with the fact that our essential workers, nurses and others might need those trains at all hours to get to their jobs. I think it's really what we talk about every day is that we try and anticipate where where we are in terms of ridership and um, what are the strategies that we can do and employ. And so uh, I think that even with a 30-minute headway for each of our lines, so um, sometimes on the story runs, you know, it looks like there are only like two trains an hour, but, you know, we, we've got different lines that we're operating. And, and so I think that that individuals that are really relying on it for their work, they can go to the BART planning app and really understand when is that train going to be there and sort of plan around it. Um, we know that we did create some hardship for people because we are curtailing service at nine at night, but only 3% of the riders were coming after nine o'clock. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're, we're stretched in terms of our public safety personnel. And so um, it, it made sense to stop at nine. But I think it's a constant recalibration based upon um, ridership and staffing and, and, and those circumstances. Mm hmm. And fare evasion is still a big problem, even during the shelter in place. People are not paying their shares when they are um, riding BART many times. Are you worried about that? And what is the best way to combat fare evasion? Well, we've been focused on fare evasion 
pretty significantly over the past year. And we've been, you know, our, our engineering team, Tamar Allen, who is fantastic. She and her colleagues in maintenance and engineering have been um, cobbling together different types of fair gates that um, do a better job of keeping people from, um, you know, just entering the system without paying. Uh, it is a concern. And BART police under our new chief, Ed Alvarez, has been having something called um, fair check uh, on in the morning, very early morning hours, because you might recall that uh, under the former general manager, Grace Kronikin, she had a lot of managers and mid-level staff and personnel out at the fair gates in the four core downtown stations, because those stations represent two-thirds two-thirds of the trips on, a, on an average weekday in BART start or end in one of the four downtown stations. And what we learned from going there was that um, early in the morning in San Francisco, significant numbers of, of uh, individuals who are not housed, do not have respite, drop in, a shelter bed, we're, we're coming into the system. So uh, what has happened is that um, from 5 to 6.30 in the morning, trains going eastbound are stopped at Embarcadero Station, and our riders have come to be very um, attuned to this and appreciate it and know that it's happening, and everyone holds up their fare uh, to show that they have um, you know, that they have paid and individuals, no matter their circumstance, housed, unhoused, um, are exited from the system to, um, to the, you know, to the streets above uh, at Embarcadero Station. Um, those fare checks are now taking place not only at 5 to 6.30 in the morning, but then later in the morning, I think between um, 10 and 12.30 uh, in the morning. So I think we are trying to maintain a system and I'd like to use the word integrity and integrity is a 360 word because if you have integrity, the system, it is not easy for people to fare evade, but also in a, a system with integrity has the ability to treat people fairly. And BART has never had a, a, a low income rider, uh, fare. And so, um, again, president Simon director. Dr. Saltzman, Director Lee, and myself have been clamoring for this, and some of our colleagues on the MTC, like former Supervisor Jane Kim and Nick Josefowitz. So, so we were scheduled to embark upon this week the first ever um, low-income rider fare, and um, and you know, unfortunately, given the circumstance in San Francisco and the world, it's delayed until um, you know that 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 happens. So um, it is it is a concern. But I think Heather, I, I'm I'm going to pivot back to the issue of homelessness and say that you know we are working in different counties with homeless services, and BART has been putting up. 50% of the cost of a homeless outreach team um, in San Francisco with Muni. And um, we added another homeless outreach team uh, at 16th and 24th Street. And I I'm frustrated because there I don't think those outreach workers really have tools to help people. I mean, outreach, you know, just going and saying, well, Heather, how are you doing this morning? You know, are you doing X? Are you doing Y? Well, that's not an engagement that's really moving somebody and they so, don't have enough to offer you mean yeah there's just there's, there's, it's it's just not much to be offered and and um before jeff kasitsky moved over to the uh, healthy streets operations center and stepped out of um leading the department of homelessness and supportive housing we kind of had a conversation that was a back and forth where he was telling me it was hard to staff 
the positions, and I didn't realize that the hot team is operating at 50% of um, normal staffing. And um, I said, you know, and it basically, they're only working at BART from nine in the morning till five in the afternoon. And, and I, I, I don't think those hours are particularly optimal. And, you know, then I said, if you're telling me that people don't want to do this job, I think it's because they don't have tools to offer people. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it, you know, what are they going to do? They're not magicians. They're going to make people disappear. I mean, it's just, it's, it, this is what doesn't make sense is that, you know, most city services have become more customer focused. And I don't know that because homeless people are, are poor um, and don't are not perceived to have political influence or power that, you know, what, what is done is like, you get what you get and you don't get upset. And it's, I, you know, I would say that I, I, and I think that Contra Costa County has done a great job in working with us and they have much fewer resources, but their core team goes out at the end of the line that, you know, when we were having regular service, they were out there at 11 o'clock and midnight in the cold weather, getting people to warming centers and not having people who are, who are homeless and get stranded out at these stations, um, you know, calling for 911 to, to, to get an ambulance to, to, to go to, to, uh, you know, to a hospital. So, um, I, I just think that, um, you know, this is what my focus a lot is, is just trying to tie things together. And in fact, um, you know, I, I've talked to Senator Weiner and said, if cities and counties in the BART district are getting state money, because there never used to be state money for homelessness, but if they're getting state money, I would like to see a requirement that the county has to come to the transit agency, whether it's BART, whether it's Los Angeles Metro, whether it's VTA, Muni, has to come and say, this is what we're going to spend this state money for. This is the shelter. This is the outreach. This is the mental health care. And this is how we're going to coordinate services with you. Wow. Because be people are so angry about what they see on BART, we're not, we're not eligible for this money. We can't apply for it. We're not staffed. We're not. That's not our expertise. But it is extremely frustrating because you know we take our shots. You know, I get them on Twitter. I get them other places. I try to address them. But the bottom line is that I don't think that we're getting our due from our our cities and counties that are getting money to to address this problem. I'm Heather Knight, and I'll be right back with Bevan Dufty. I'm back with Bevan Dufty of the BART Board. I wanted to turn to some questions that I got from um, people on Twitter who were interested in hearing from you. Sure. How often do you ride every segment of BART and walk each station in the system? So I um, I live in the Castro, and so I generally walk to the 16th Street Station because sometimes I find trying to catch a train that, you know, catching Muni is kind of, it can really, it's another wild card (laughs) in my commute. So I generally, 16th street is my, my home station. And then I would say civic is my next, uh, closest, uh, station that I spend a lot of time at. Um, I ride transit every day. I was thrilled. The first thing I did on my uh, 65th birthday, February 27th, was to go and get my Muni discount card. <laughs> um, and so um, I moved pretty seamlessly between um, Muni and BART. Um, I have been to every station in the system, um, but uh, I can tell you that my Twitter is active mm-hmm. and 
people tell me about problems and I go and solve those problems. I, I really don't feel like I have to be constantly riding to, to every point in, in the district because people come to me because they know that they're going to get an answer and that they know that I'm going to do something. And so um, I'm confident that if you were to ask people on Twitter, even the ones that light my tail on fire from time to time, that I am responsive to them and that I get things done. And particularly when a rider tells me that something's not working, I just was out at Millbrae um, just before the shelter at home. Um, I spent a, a lot of time at that station. It is a beautiful station that needs some TLC and we have to work on some things there. And, uh, you know, within two days, I, I got a massive steam cleaning to get the, you know, what seemed like a generation of pigeon poop <laughs> off the station. So I'm really second to none in my attention to customer service, but I, I let, I let the riders kind of set the agenda for me, whether they call me or email me. Every email I send to someone that's raised a concern, I put my cell phone number and I think I'm as accessible as one can be in yeah. this role. After this pandemic is over, what can BART do to incentivize people to ride the trains again? Well, I really think that, um, I, I, I think having a system with integrity and I think having some help um, from the cities and counties to, to assist people who um, have mental illness, have drug addiction, um, or simply need shelter in a safe place to be. I think it's one of the most important things that we can do um, is to really get get some traction and get some partnership. Um, I, I think this is something that we have really at BART tried to do. And I think that we've tried to be both proactive and thoughtful in in in, in things. But um, you know, I, I see it as one of the the, the major concerns. Um, we were piloting um, the ambassador program to put um, un, unarmed, non-sworn, but well-trained personnel, and that was going well. And as you know, um, you know, employees have the opportunity to take. Um, two weeks of leave right now and possibly 10 more to, um, you know, to care for family or, or, you know, do things related to, um, the COVID pandemic. Um, and so our staffing right now is a little hard pressed, but I think that, um, if we have a robust ambassador program, we hired 63 police officers in, um, 2019. It was a record for this agency. I just think if people feel safe and have a clean and welcoming system, I think that that will bring back our ridership. Mm -hmm. And what is BART doing differently to clean the trains during the pandemic and make sure they're safe to ride? So all there is um, a, a lot of work going on to um, take uh, every point of contact and to clean it and, and sanitize it. And um, I, I, you know, that work, uh, I've gotten good feedback on it. And on a couple of occasions, I've had people um, send photographs of, you know, where it, it could be cleaner. 
Um, but I think that our staff has really stepped up. Our station agents, our system service workers, who are custodians, our train operators. Um, I, I think they, you know, that they've done um, a good job. Uh, one of the photos that was sent to me, you know, the old seats on BART are Velcro, and um, it's it's kind of like a piggy bank. You know, people drop change, maybe a watch. I don't know, you know, paper money. And so there are times when people will go through the car and pull it apart, just looking to see what um, they can get from between the seats. And it looks really bad, but I can tell you um, on many occasions, I've, um, you know, just put the seats in place and just put the cushions back and Mm -hmm. it it works fine. I recognize that only somebody with, you know, a pair of gloves should do that. But, um, uh, you know, it's something that is not going to continue because the new trains do not have cushions. So that is something that will go away. If you could weigh the magic wand, what is your greatest wish for BART? So I thought about that, and I would say since I was proclaimed about eight years ago as a super gay in San Francisco, (laughs) my wand is very powerful. And as I wave it, you and I and anyone else would be able to come um, after uh, the shelter in at home ends and that we would have a second trans bay tube. Oh, that would be amazing. I I can't speak too extensively about... um, uh, the East Bay alignment, I would imagine that it would probably be on the southern side of where the current tube is and uh, maybe pick up Alameda. But it would um, obviously in San Francisco uh, go through um, Mission Bay and uh, go out Geary, you know, where the busiest uh, muni line is, and then uh, uh, hit Kaiser on Geary and pick up all those employees and then um, turn and hit the museums uh, in Golden Gate Park and then go to UCSF and then go out um, and connect with, with Daly City. So that's my wand. And, um, you know, um, I, I did have a funny situation when I was a supervisor, though, where um, when the film uh, Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith uh, uh, was was being filmed, um, they actually created a BART entrance in DeBose Park. And um, I got quite a few calls from people, constituents, who thought that actually that BART had opened there. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> That's funny. So, I, you know, it was just, it was pretty funny. I was like, oh my God, can you imagine what the construction <laughs> and disruption would have been to have had an entrance right in DeBose Park? But it it's kind of a parallel. So maybe we'll have something in a, in, in a month that, that we will have a <laughs> second Transbay crossing, not only for BART, but also for um, commuter rail. I mean, that's that's the magic of it is that we would really be able to create a, a, a fantastically integrated system, have redundancy, the, the, the possibility down the road of 24-hour service when my kid is um, uh, 35 or mm-hmm. so and wants to go out and samba all night. So. <laughs> Okay, the next question is from my friend Peter Hartlob, who you've known for a long time because he's the nephew of your friend Susan Liao. Um, on a scale of 1 to 100, how much of a nerd was Peter when he was 12? <laughs> Peter was pretty cool. He What was good about Peter is that um, a lot of 12-year-olds aren't interested in, in adults, and so you just you can't kind of engage, really, and... Um, but Peter was, um, he was a cool kid. So I what was the number? One to 100. He himself as being pretty nerdy, but um, 
he was a cool kid. Okay. And uh, I, I really took pleasure when he wrote for, um, I think it's called The Nexus. It was a student newspaper at UC Santa Barbara where he went. And I loved reading his work. Susan would always have, you know, his, his pieces. And it, he has been consistent. He is funny and smart and sweet. And recently I was going through my papers because I'm pulling my political papers from my city hall and other parts of my career to give to the Gay and Lesbian Historical Society. And I found some pictures of um, Peter and I that I, I shared with him. Aww. So He's going to love this segment. So he'll probably play this little snippet of you <laughs> well, talking about him on his one podcast. One of my life's best moments as a gay man was um, Peter's mom, Jeannie Hartlob, who um, you know works in the healthcare field, and she's just incredible. Um, but uh, Jeannie came to see Susan and I because we had a beach house in Rehoboth, Delaware, when when we worked on on the hill. And she, you know, she left her kids at, at, at you know at home with her husband. They were very young at that time, and. Uh, we were going out to a gay bar, you know, and, it, you know, it was the mm, late 70s. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you had to blow dry your hair and stuff like that. But <laughs> you weren't really dressed up. And Jeannie came out of her room and she had on um, like a white halter dress with daisies on it. And then um, there she had like sandals that had a daisy between her first two toes. Mm -hmm. And Susan and I were just like, Oh my God, like not, this could not be real. <laughs> Jeannie got so much attention at this gay club. Like it was like, wow. both, Susan and I were both single at the time. So we were both on the make. We were going nowhere. <laughs> and all these gorgeous, hot muscle guys were like dancing and doing the hustle <laughs> with Jeannie. And it was the one of the best come up and oh that gosh. Susan and I have ever had, for, you know, being our... <laughs> Caddy cells. Peter, your mom was hot, apparently. Okay, I'll move oh, on to the next hot. question. Very hot. She's a great, <laughs> a great person, but um, and and was quite the. I mean, she she it, the place was called the Boathouse. Half of it seemed like it was falling into the into the bay, <laughs> but it was uh, it was a great night, and um, you know, <laughs> shame on us for thinking that a a, a daisy halter dress and sandals weren't going to turn the crowd. That's awesome. Okay, this question is from Latifa Simon. It's not really a question; it's just a recommendation. Ask him about socks. I don't really know what she where she's going with this. But. So, well, I I like to have. I, I was kind of hurt when Justin Trudeau became the world's best sock person because mm -hmm. um, I I have really worked at my sock game for a long long time. <laughs> um, but Latifa and I sit next to one another. Um, when I came onto the BART board, I, I said to the president of the board at that time that I would give them one vote at any time in the next four years if they would just make sure I could sit next to Latifa because <laughs> she was like the best part of coming onto the BART board. But um, for my birthday in, uh, in February, she brought me a box of socks and they were they were outstanding. Okay, this is from another BART director, Janice Lee. Who is the cutest BART director? <laughs> Past or present? How do we... present? <laughs> you know, I would say that Janice is the cutest, actually, because <laughs> she is so she she has a great sense of humor. Yes, yeah, she um, does, and she's so wonky. Like I'm, I'm a really good nuts and bolts person. Maybe I shouldn't say I'm really good. I try to be a nuts and bolts person, but she is more of a. She's got like the ten thousand foot up perspective, and. Um, um, and, you know, she's had a, some, some, you know, she's gotten 
she's it's not been a primrose path right she's taken some heat on some things as we all do in this and and it's tough i think that's one of the hardest things to adapt to is how mean people can be at times when you know they may have a, a legitimate question but does it like i got a text i mean i'm sorry i got a tweet this week that i was a fascist and so that is kind of disarming and it just kind of puts you at like, why is the world like this? You know why? You know, and, and um, I think that she has just really um, distinguished herself. Um, she's, she's, she's having fun. Um, she makes a huge contribution to um, the, the BART work. And uh, you know, I, I think she's going places. I'm so proud of having worked really hard to help her win an election, but it's an election that she won. I mean, she really connected with people. And um, I, I, uh, Latifah and, and Janice make my life so enjoyable. And then I would say Janice and Chanel Williams, who's also um, in the LGBT community. She's African-American, grew up in the Fillmore like Mayor Bree did, and she's president of the Community College Board. But Chanel and Latifah, if I have an objective outside of the work that I do as a director, it's, I'd really like to see them go places in terms of their legislative careers. Okay. And now it's time for my lightning round. Okay. What is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? Don Ramones. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Mm, I'll say, I'll, let me stick with pursuit of happiness. Okay. I love seeing Cecil with, um, <laughs> you know, they kind of, yeah dolled up Cecil's hair when, uh, <laughs> and he got to play himself. I, I, we just watched that movie recently yeah. and I love that movie. Okay. Where is your favorite place to get a stiff drink? You know, I'm really not drinking much anymore. So let me think about that for a moment. Um, if I have two drinks a month, it's a lot. Um, let's say the Twin Peaks. I, I, I you know, I, I, when I was younger, I would like, kind of look and check it out. And it's a very comfortable place. It's the first gay bar in our country that had windows that people could see in. It's right by the Castro Theater. And uh, and it's a great it's a great crowd out there. And it's a very mixed crowd. A lot of younger people love going there as well. What was your first concert? Um, I went, so I grew up in New York City and I left at 16. And, um, and so I um, lived in Menlo Park. My mom took a job at Stanford University. And there was a theater called the Circle in the Star. Circle, Circle Star. Star. Peter's theater. a big fan of that and, place. Mm -hmm. And the stage revolved. Yeah. And so um, Gladys Knight and the Pips. Oh, wow. As you know, I grew up with a lot of jazz. So yes. I went to a lot of jazz nightclubs when I was underage and so forth. But in terms of me going like, I want to go and see this, it was um, – uh, Gladys Knight, and then followed closely by seeing Stevie Wonder at the Cow Palace. Oh, cool. Yeah. What was the last book you read? The last book that I read? Mm -hmm. Surprising Myself by Christopher Bram. And um, he's a gay author. Um, it, the the um, coronavirus pandemic, because of how it, um, it, it connects a lot to the AIDS epidemic. Um, and so it's been a time at which I've, as I've gone through my papers, I've been looking for pictures and cards and papers from friends that died um, during the AIDS epidemic. Um, 
And uh, so Christopher Bram was a gay author. He's, he's alive. I'm sorry. Uh, in 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 the in the eighties and nineties. And so I'm actually reading three books of his. So I'm reading In Memory of Angel Clare, and then I'm going to read a book, Gossip, that I think is about the hypocrisy of gay Republicans. Okay, sounds good. You're known for being nice to everybody, as you have been on this podcast. Do you ever just want to scream at people? Um, you know, I have my diva turns. I'm I'm not <laughs> I'm not perfect. I can I can be I can be uh, yeah. I'm mostly good, but I have my moments. Um, so yeah, no, I I uh, I, I just try to be patient. Um, and I think one of the things is that, particularly when I started in politics, that people's expectation of what politicians or staff people are like was pretty low. So um, it, with the bar set low, I felt like I could exceed it. I think it really had a lot to do with how I got elected supervisor in 2002 when people, a lot of people thought I couldn't win that race. Um, so um, I think I am. I try to be patient. I, I do. Because it's just, there's no reason not to be. I mean, it, it, phone calls aren't a dime anymore, but I always felt like if somebody called, it was their dime and that I should be there and listen. And if you really listen and you kind of pull the threads together of what someone is mad about, and then you just start small and say, okay, well, let's get this done and let's get this done and let's get this done. You kind of build trust with people. What is the weirdest thing you've ever seen on BART? <sighs> it's hard to separate the videos because Lord have mercy. I have seen them all. The weirdest thing I've seen on Bart. I saw someone with a parrot. I wish I could have seen the pony. The pony would have been like, that would have been incredible. So um, I've had actually good experiences on Bart. I have been fortunate in, um, I, I had a rough experience in the Civic Center station one night. Um, my partner, Corey, and I had taken Sid to see the color purple. And we. I wanted to walk through the hallway. This was even before the viral video came out. And there was a guy, um, um, you know, smoking meth off of a piece of tin foil. And um, I, I asked Corey to take Sid and I had a conversation with him. And I I'll wound up seeing him again, like a couple of weeks later, and he wasn't using in the system. Um, but that I, I just had a conversation with him and said that I, you know, as a dad, like, it's really hard for me to feel like, this is something that my kid has to deal with. And I, I think it had an impact on him. So it was, it was one of those things where, you know, I kind of waited in and there were about 10 people in the hallway. Then civic center is a very different station. We have our rough moments and um, the, the new entryway um, at seventh and, and market, I think it has, has its challenges, but um, you know, I, I do believe that civic center is a, is a much safer and better cared for station now. Okay. Which is better, Bart or Muni? Bart. Because Bart can be crazy, but we actually get you there. Whereas at Muni, I have had so many alternate universe experiences that I can't even tell you, you know, like walking down into the station and it is a total crapshoot as to whether you're going to see a train coming in two minutes or there are like 400 people down on the platform. And, 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 Trust me, I don't think people distinguish. I mean, I get some real funky looks when I'm trying to get on a train that, you know, in, in a station with 400 people. They, I'm just going like, I'm Bart, I'm Bart, I'm Bart. But uh -uh, not, they just look like you're part of the system, dude. We hate you. <laughs> Last question. What is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Uh, my morning walk with my dogs. Yeah, they um, we I live close to um, the States Street Mini Park, which um, 
is is um, and then there's this path around going to Corona Heights, and you get spectacular views. And um, the dogs aren't really checking in the views; they're mostly sniffing and peeing and stuff. But um, but it's just a really nice morning. And my pit bull, I have to keep on leash. But um, the Chihuahua Italian Greyhound buddy, he is um, he gets to go off leash and just kind of roam and he's real pokey. And so it's nice. You get you, I spend an hour just kind of thinking about the world. Um, do I get to give you a lightning round? <laughs> I mean, not not multiples, but maybe you just can one give or me a two. Question. Sure. Well, I just want to say that um, I think that it's amazing how strong your voice has become in, um, in the field of San Francisco. And I love having watched it evolve and how the connection that you have with people and that you can have a column that is, Hey, we should still love this place. And then today you can really take the system to task for what's not happening, um, with homelessness. And I can say that, um, you know, we would, joke at times. I think you and I have joked about like the queen of snark at times. And, um, you know, it's really interesting. I don't, and, and I, and people would say that a column of yours was snarky and stuff, but nobody says that anymore. I mean, it's just really, um, it, it's just been great. And I want to acknowledge that, um, um, I'm really grateful at what you did to change the housing authority. And that if, um, I really struggled when I was working for the mayor at that time and, and what was happening at the housing authority and how residents were treated was terrible. And I think that your reporting of that uh, um, really had a lot to do with changing it for the better. Thank you. Well, that wasn't really a lightning round question, but I really appreciate your kind words proving once again, you're the nicest guy in San Francisco. And you're a pretty great columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle. Thanks. Well, it was great to talk to you and hang in there. Um, I hope to see you in person one day soon. Sounds good. Take care of the boys and um, keep writing. Thank you to Bevan Dufty for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening. If you want to support San Francisco City Insider and the newsroom that creates it, become a member of the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash pod. I'm Heather Knight. Thanks for listening.